Go, amen. You guys can take a seat. What up? Salt Company, you and I. How are we feeling tonight? Lackluster, wonderful. My name's Daniel Nemers. Yeah, I don't need to explain my story. Just read it in the beautiful pamphlet that you guys have. Not going to waste my time on that. What I am going to spend my time on is giving honor where honor is due. Your Salt Company staff for pulling off this send retreat. Guys, come on. Give them a hand. Here's what's beautiful is that COVID has ruined a ton of things. And what your Salt staff has done is said, you know what? We can handle one thing, and that's actually using what the SALT conference was and bringing it here to you and I to actually push you guys to live a life on mission. So honestly, when you guys see your SALT staff, give them a hug and a kiss, maybe. I don't know if they're comfortable with that. Give them a kiss if you feel like. All right, we're here at the Send Retreat, people. But what does it mean to be sent? What does it mean to be sent? We've all been sent to go do something, right? like to go get groceries. Can I get an amen? Like, why are we amening that? To go get groceries. The other day, I was sent by my wife to go get groceries, and I nailed it. I accomplished the task, got bread, got coffee, got drinks, went home. I did it. I was sent. Thank you for the round of applause. Thank you, Aaron. We just met earlier. I appreciate that. Guys, here's the thing. There's a difference between being sent and living sent. You guys with me? There's a difference between being sent and living sent. I don't live like I'm sent to the grocery store. I don't live my life thinking, okay, what needs to go in my fridge next? That makes no sense. To us, being sent seems like a checklist or a hey, do as it becomes needed type of thing, not a lifestyle. If you're a Christian in this room, you've been given and have accepted the gift of the gospel. And because you've been changed by the gospel, God now declares that you live sent. He demands that you live sent. And many of us don't look at our world with a gospel lens. You guys feel me? A lens with a filter that filters everything we do and everybody we see with the eyes of Jesus. And tonight, we're gonna be answering the question, how can we live sent? How can we live sent? Tonight we're gonna to see a story of two men being used by God to alter the trajectory of Christianity and show us what it's like to live sent. And the way they are sent and the way the world responds to them is altogether astounding, it's horrible, and exactly what will happen to you if you live sent. Turn your Bibles to Acts chapter three. Acts chapter three. This is the word of God. Let's go, Acts chapter three. I believe Stephen preached on Acts one last night. What happened between then and now in Acts chapter three is that Pentecost happened, which means the Holy Spirit descended on the disciples and the gospel was preached and a ton of people placed their faith in the risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen? That's what happened, it was beautiful. And now Acts chapter three, we kind of helicopter into this crazy story of Peter and John. Move this, there we go. Peter and John, Acts chapter three, starting in verse one. Check this out, verse one. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple for the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. A man who was lame from birth was being carried there. He was placed each day at the temple gate called Beautiful so that he could beg from those entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple, he asked for money. Pause. 
So Peter and John are going to the temple to pray, and they walk right up to this guy whose legs don't work. They haven't worked his whole life. For 40 years, they have not worked. Now he's a beggar on the streets. He's an outcast to society. And if you would walk by him on the streets, you would feel very uncomfortable, and you don't want to make eye contact with him because, according to society, this person is just odd. He's not like us, right? And something is about to change his life. Look at verse 4. Peter, along with John, looked straight at him and said, look at us. So he turned to them, expecting to get something from them. But Peter said, I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. He's saying, hey, Peter's essentially saying, I don't got money, but I got the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, and that is enough, amen? He's saying, he's looking at him, essentially saying, money can't heal you, Jesus can heal you. More things can't solve your problems, more of Jesus can solve your life. So look at what happens, look at verse seven. Then, taking him by the right hand, he raised him up, and at once his feet and ankles became strong. So he jumped up and started to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. Guys, at once, this guy has his feet and his ankles and his legs immediately get strength. And what does he do? He doesn't just walk. He freaking leaps, literally for joy. This guy is literally jumping for joy. He can't believe what just happened. He's experiencing something, something for the very first time in his life. He can finally walk. Imagine that. He can finally walk. It wasn't a band-aid to stop the bleeding. It was new legs with new strength that led to a new future and a current joy. I don't know if you guys are weird like me. Uh, have you ever Googled a new baby horse trying to walk for the first time. Anybody here? No? Great. Have any of you guys seen a new baby? doesn't matter. I'll just explain it to you. So essentially, the baby horse, I don't know why I looked it up. Just don't ask me. It doesn't matter. Essentially, the baby horse is born, and it just kind of lays in the hay for a minute because it just went through a traumatic experience. And it's like, what is happening to my life? And then it's like, okay, maybe I should start walking. So it kind of gets up, and it's like all wobbly and weird. You guys know what I'm talking about. Um, that's not what happens to this guy. Not at all. Because Jesus' name was declared to him, his strength came in full. His strength came in full. And some of you guys need to realize that because Jesus' name was spoken into your life, you don't have to wait to gain full strength. You already have full strength because of the victory of Jesus, not the strength of you. The beautiful thing about Jesus healing you is the strength you receive is his strength. And when you're given his strength, you don't limp, you leap. I want us to imagine this, this scenario right here. If, if we were in this story, imagine Peter and John are like, hey, in the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. And the guy's like, oh man, feel something now. But I'm tuckered out. I'm just gonna kind of lay here for a little while. Thanks, thanks, but I'm just gonna lay down for a nap. How would we react? We'd be like, you're an idiot. What is wrong with you? Get up, go. You would freak out because he would be wasting his healing. In that moment, he would be wasting his healing. He would be wasting his gift. But don't we do this all the time? We don't do it with our lame legs, but we do it with our mute mouth. 
don't we, Christians? God gave you a gift of his healing of your broken and lost heart. I wonder what God would do through you if you used your voice. A voice that hasn't been mute for 40 years, but is healthy and knows the healing God has done in you. Would you leap like this man and speak of his healing that he's done in you? Let's keep going. Verse 9. How do they react? All the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized that he was the one who used to sit and beg at the beautiful gate of the temple. So they were filled with awe and astonishment at what had happened to him while he was holding on to Peter and John. I love that line, by the way. This guy gets healed, and he is holding on to the arm and the bodies of Peter and John. He's just like, you just healed me by the name of Jesus Christ. I want to see how you act like him. I have nothing more to say on that. I just love that line. Look at verse 11. While he was holding on to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astonished, ran toward them in what is called Solomon's colonnade. When Peter saw this, he addressed the people. Fellow Israelites, why are you amazed at this? Kind of a weird question to ask. Why are you amazed at this? Everybody has to be looking at Peter, this whole crowd like, um, hey, idiot, this guy is now walking. He hasn't used his legs for 40 years. What are you talking about? Look at verse 12. When Peter saw this, he addressed the people, fellow Israelites, why are you amazed at this? Why do you stare at us as though we had made him walk by our own power or godliness? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our ancestors, has glorified his servant, Jesus, wait for it, whom you handed over and denied before Pilate. Though he had decided to release him, you denied the holy and righteous one and asked to have a murderer released to you. You killed the source of life whom God raised from the dead. We are witnesses of this. Peter's essentially saying, you're marveling that the God of the universe healed a lame man? You know what you should be shocked and marveled at? That the God of the universe is allowing you to breathe right now when you are the ones who stole the breath from his son, Jesus Christ. That's what you should be marveled at. And that phrase in verse 15, look at it with me. It says, you killed, I love this name for Jesus. You killed the source of life. You killed the God who in eternity past decided to make you, create you, who is currently sustaining your life, the God who is perfect for you, and you killed him. These people are distracted by the craziness before them when they should be looking at the cross behind them. These people are in awe of healing, of working legs, when they're the ones who drove the nail through the feet of their Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter and John do something that no one does. They say, hey, don't look at me, look at Jesus. Don't look and be in awe of somebody who can heal the body. Look and be in awe of the one who can actually heal your soul. Look at verse 17 or 16 with me. They're not done. By faith in his, what's that name? What's that word right there? Tell me. Come on, people, say it louder. By faith in his what? Name. By faith in his name. His name made this man strong, whom you see and know. So faith that comes through, who's the name? Jesus has given him this perfect health in front of all of you by faith in his name, by faith in the name of Jesus. Guys, Jesus did it all. Heal this man 
through his name. Jesus performed a miracle in his body, but Jesus went even further. You know, this man placed his faith in the name of Jesus, so his body wasn't the only thing that was healed. His soul was healed with an eternal destiny towards heaven by placing his faith in the risen Lord, Jesus Christ. So, Peter just accused this crowd of killing the Messiah. Their jaws are literally probably on the floor and probably a little bit ticked at Peter, but Peter doesn't stop there. Look what Peter gives them. He gives them some action steps. Verse 17, and now, brothers and sisters, I know that you acted in ignorance, just as your leaders also did. In this way, God fulfilled what he had predicted through all the prophets, that his Messiah would suffer. Therefore, repent and turn back so that your sins may be wiped out, that seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send Jesus who has been appointed for you as the Messiah. Guys, Peter starts with exalting the name of Jesus, showing us how we disrespect the name of Jesus, then calls us to repentance and belief in his name, which would lead to Jesus affecting everything about them. Look at verse 19. He says, therefore, repent and turn back. You guys want to know what repentance is? I'm sure Stephen's talked about this before. You guys want to know what repentance is? This is you. This is your sin right here that every single one of you desperately hold on to. This is your sin. Jesus is this way. A path towards hell is this way. This is what every single person's disposition is the second that they're born. They're holding on to their sin and they're on a reckless, passionate pursuit towards hell. Repentance looks like you dropping your sin some water came out of that one, dropping your sin and turning and actively walking towards Jesus through faith. You know what we try to do most of the time? We try to say, oh man, that Jesus is really good. I'm gonna, yeah, this this is pretty good right here. This is not faith, this is not belief, and you can't actually pursue Jesus. Part of faith, part of belief is letting go of your sin and looking towards someone better who could actually forgive your sin and then actively pursuing him with your life. So Peter says, repent and turn back from your sins. And guess what you're gonna get? Look at verse 20. It says that seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord that he may send Jesus who has been appointed for you as the Messiah. I love that phrase, seasons of refreshing. Turning from the misery of this rat race life will only be refreshing when the weight of your sins are cast on Jesus, amen? For those of you who have experienced that. So that's what happens. That's the story. Seems pretty great, right? Epic, great sermon, Peter. You crushed it. But the story takes a nasty turn. Have you guys ever done something good and gotten in trouble for it in your own house? Let me see a raise of hands here. You guys ever been good and somehow your parents just didn't see? Well, this is what happens to Peter and John. Check it out. Chapter four, verse one. While they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple police and the Sadducees confronted them. Guys, these are the Christian buttheads of the New Testament. Nobody likes these people, okay? Everybody say Christian butthead. No, I'm just kidding. Don't say that. Chapter four, verse one. Or sorry, verse two. Because they were annoyed. Aw, too bad. So sad. 
they were just so annoyed that they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So here's a logical reaction, verse 3. So they seized them and took them into custody, took them to jail until the next day since it was already evening. Okay. Petty. Guys, the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. They were sad, you see. (laughs) Get it? Write that down. You guys writing that down up there? And the nosebleeds up there? Good. I appreciate that. The Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. So they and the Pharisees confront Peter and John because they were so annoyed that their cute little worldview was disrupted. It didn't match what they preferred. So they were outraged. Sounds a little bit like our culture right now. Doesn't it? If God's truth doesn't line up with my truth, absolute outrage happens. We lose our minds, don't we? Let me show you something. God's truth is the only truth. His way is the only way. Your truth is absolute garbage if it doesn't come in line with God of the universe's truth. Amen? Your truth is absolute crap. It means nothing. It is a lie. It is false if it doesn't come in line with God's. And look what happens when God's truth confronts a society that is all about themselves. Probably something horrible, right? Look at verse 4. But many of those who had heard the message believed. And the number of the men came to about 5,000. Guys, it's amazing what happens when a countercultural message full of God's truth is declared into darkness. People get saved. Amen? That's what happens when the gospel is preached. Despite the outcome of Peter and John being in jail, the message still rang true. Salt Company. Jesus' salvation continues through your circumstances. God's salvation continues through your pain. You have no idea how your pain could be a megaphone to show God's grace. Let's keep going. Look at verse 5. The next day, the rulers, elders, and scribes, the buttheads, assembled in Jerusalem with Annas, all the buttheads, yada, yada, yada. Verse 7. After they had Peter and John stand before him, they began to question them. Hey, by what power or in what name, notice that, have you done this? By what power or in what name have you done this? I want to set the scene for you because this is a tense moment. Peter and John are in front of 71 of the most powerful people in his day. These people, within a second, could at the very least ruin their reputation, ruin their family, ruin their entire life, and at the worst, completely take their life. So they have a crisis moment right here. They could stand up to a culture that tells them to shut up and stand up for what they believe in, or they could do what most Christians would do and kind of shudder and back down. So let's see. What does he say? Look at the end of verse 7. By what power or in what name have you done this, they're asked. Then Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today about a good deed done to a disabled man, by what means he was healed, let 
it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing here before you healthy. This Jesus is the stone rejected by you builders, which has become the cornerstone. One of the greatest verses in all the Bible, verse 12. There is salvation in no one else, no other name. For there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. Holy cow. That phrase in verse 10, let it be known. Peter's saying, let me be very clear so that you don't mess it up. By the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, this Jesus who died by your hands because of your sins, yeah, 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 that Jesus. This Jesus who victoriously rose from the grave, yeah, 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 that Jesus. By the name of Jesus, by his power, this man is healed in front of you. Guys, do you want to know? This is where we get practical. Do you want to know how to go from simply being sent to living sent? Do you want to know how you go from knowing the gospel to actually living out the gospel? I have two points. Number one, how are we to be lived sent? How can we live sent? Living sent demands you declare Jesus' name. Living sent demands that you declare Jesus' name, his literal name, the name of Jesus. On the count of three, we are all going to shout, and I mean shout, the name of Jesus, okay? One, two, three. There we go. Look at chapter three, verse six, end of verse six. It says, I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Look at verse 16. By faith in his name, his name has made this man strong, whom you see and know. So faith that comes through Jesus has given him this perfect health in front of you. Look at chapter four, verse seven. By what power or in what name have you done this? Verse 10, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, by him, this man is standing here before you healthy. You wanna know how you live sent? Living sent demands that you declare the name of Jesus 10 times out of 10. Guys, so my dad is a pastor, okay? And if you've ever met Pastor Pat Nemers, reverend and all holy Pastor Pat Nemers, he is very intimidating to many people. He's extremely blunt. He kind of comes across a little bit angry, probably a little bit like how I've looked on this stage tonight. A little bit angry. People are very intimidated by him. So imagine little middle school Danny boy, okay? That's me. All of like 80 pounds, Zits everywhere, Justin Bieber flow going. By the way, that was a thing, okay? Justin Bieber flow. I'm getting bullied by some guys in seventh grade, okay? I'm getting bullied by them. This really happened. And I'm like freaking out. I'm so terrified. And it was right at the end of school while we're waiting for our parents to pick us up. And in the hallway, so I couldn't see anybody. I couldn't see this teacher. The teacher goes, oh, why, hello, Pastor Pat Nemers. And the second... Those bullies heard the name of Pastor Pat Nemers. They all looked at each other and just ran away. Just freaked out and ran away. Literally, by the name of Pat Nemers, the bullies were scattered. It was hilarious. I was like, oh, that's here. Okay, great. It was hilarious. They ran and hid when they heard his name, and I was safe. 
What happens when the name of Jesus is declared in the darkness of our world? Look at verse 12. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. Guys, in a culture where the name of Jesus is downgraded, mocked, cast aside, made a fool of, in a culture where the only God whose name is used as a curse word is God and Jesus, why is that? Make no mistake. God has deeply ingrained in our souls to understand that his name has power. The name of Jesus has power, and that's why the world is so scared of it. This name and this name alone is mighty enough to save. There is no other name that can fully save people from their own sin. When Peter said no other name, he literally means no other name. Buddha can't save you. Donald Trump can't save you. Biden can't save you. Stephen Jones can't save you. Daniel Nemers can't save you. And what many of you need to know right now is you can't save yourself. There is no other name that carries salvation power. There is no other name that can somehow, some way, heal deadness and bring in new life. There is no other name that can bear the weight of our sins. There is no other name that can heal the worst parts of who you are. There is no other name that has defeated death, and this is the name of Jesus Christ. There's power in his name. Do you believe that? There is power in the name of Jesus Christ. We are sent in the name of Jesus for the name of Jesus. So we declare the name of Jesus. Amen? We declare the name of Jesus. And look what happens. Look at verse 13. When they, they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were, I don't know, uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. Boldness attached to their background was staggering to the Pharisees. Staggering, mind-blowing. The disciples were common people who served an uncommon God, amen? The disciples were common men, common people who just simply served an uncommon God. It was so clear that they had been touched by the life of Jesus, the name powerful enough to make common people do uncommon, world-changing work, Guys, boldness within the ordinary is a powerful thing. Boldness within the ordinary is a powerful thing. What happens next? Look, look at verse 14. Uh, the Christian buttheads start freaking out. And since they saw the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in opposition. What do you know? Verse 15. After they ordered them to leave the Sanhedrin, they conferred among themselves, saying, what should we do with these men? For an obvious sign has been done through them, clear to everyone living in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. Oh, I don't know. Maybe believe in it? No. Look at verse 17. But so that this does not spread any further among the people, let me be very clear, so that the name of Jesus does not spread any further among the people. Look at verse 17. Let's threaten them against speaking to anyone in this name again. So they called for them and ordered them, hey, don't speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Guys, they, they cared less about Peter and John healing people. They just wanted to stop the spreading of the name. They commanded them. They ordered them to never again, publicly or privately, speak, declare, teach, preach, the name of Jesus Christ. That's a high order for what Jesus Christ did for them in their life. How they would respond would alter the trajectory of Christianity forever. 
Look at verse 19. Peter and John, upon threat of their life, answered them, eh, whether it's right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than to God, you decide. AKA, if you think we're going to stop talking and speaking the name of Jesus, you're an idiot. Now look at verse 20. For we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. Verse 20. Unable. I'm unable to stop speaking this name. They're saying because of what Jesus did for us, there's literally nothing that can stop us from declaring his name until the day that we die. They use their voice and life to point to the power and name of Jesus Christ. Amen? They used their voice and life to point to the power and name of Jesus Christ. Do you want to know how to go from simply being sent to living sent? You want to know how to go from just knowing the gospel to truly living the gospel? Point number one, living sent starts with declaring Jesus' name But point number two, living scent, this is an interesting point, so pay attention. Living scent is using the power Jesus gives you. Living scent is using the power that Jesus gives you. The other day, guys, I went go-karting. Any go-karting fans in this room whatsoever? All right, five, that's great. Okay, wow, one clap, great. So... I went up to one of the guys that worked there at this go-kart place, and I was, I'm very competitive, and I was with all my friends, and my wife was also there, so I wanted to look good, obviously. So I go up to the guy, and I'm like, hey, can you give me the most powerful go-kart that you have so that I can destroy my friends? He goes, I got you, cart number 11. And I was like, all right. I skip all the other ones and go right. It was very suspicious. And so I get in the go-kart, and I freaking destroyed all of my friends. I mean, I am just running right into them. I am doing laps around a couple of them. It was hilarious, though somehow I got fourth place. But I, I was destroying people, okay? I honestly don't, don't believe in their metrics. I won, no matter what they say. Here's the thing. Imagine if he told me, hey, number 11 is the most powerful go-kart. I'm like, great. So we get to the front starting line, and it's like three, two, one, go. Everybody push on the gas, and I unbuckle myself, get out of the go-kart, and I start pushing it. And I'm like, oh, you told me this was the most powerful go-kart ever. What is wrong with you? I'm easily in last place. I would look like an idiot, right? Can we all agree? Can we all get an amen? I would look like an idiot. Wow, the biggest amen is when I look like an idiot. (laughs) Guys, the power isn't in my strength. It's in the go-kart, right? Guys, it's the same with us and God. As Christians, the Holy Spirit is our go-kart for life. God's done the work. He's given us the keys. The power is in the car. God asks us to slam on the gas. God wants us to use the power that Jesus gives us. Look at verse 13. When they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and untrained men. Guys, the Greek word for for that uneducated means idiot. When they realized that they were idiots, they were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. Notice how the power wasn't in their personality. It was in the life and the name of the God they were declaring. So Jesus gives them power to speak. 
Guys, your fear to access the power of, that God gives you through his son is rooted in a false narrative that you tell yourself. It's rooted in a false narrative that the power depends on your performance. That just simply is not true. That's not how God works. 10 times out of 10, God loves to use the ordinary to point to the extraordinary. And then we see Jesus, or we see Peter using Jesus' power when he's pushing on the gas in verse 20. Look at verse 20. He says, yeah, 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 for we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. That phrase, unable to stop, floors me. In front of all these people, they are unable to stop speaking the name of Jesus. These men, these uneducated, common, untrained, everyday, nothing special men are standing up to some of the most powerful people in their own culture and speaking words of power to them. We can clearly see that this power does not come rooted in their own strength and performance. Their power is rooted in the effect that Jesus has on their lives. Amen? That's what we see. It is so clear that Jesus has given them power in their words. Someone that truly knows and understands the healing work of Jesus in their own life is unable to stop telling others. Someone who clearly sees where they would have gone if it wasn't for Jesus knows the life-saving message that has to be shared with others. That is where the power comes from. Someone who sees the world through a gospel lens lives sent because they use the power behind the name and the life of Jesus Christ. Let's get practical. Has the name of Jesus changed you? Has his power coursed through you through his Holy Spirit? Then you go and declare his name to people around you. If Jesus has truly changed you, you need to do two things. Number one, you need to declare Jesus now. I mean now. Declare Jesus now. Some of you need to realize the power of the vehicle you're in, and you need to step on the gas. Stop wasting the gift that God has given you and start speaking. The last time I was here, a few months ago, right after I got done speaking, I look up over there, and there was a group of girls who were talking to another girl, and this other girl was crying. And what ended up happening was this girl was struggling and the girls in her connection group decided to declare truth in the name of Jesus Christ to her and this girl placed her faith in Jesus Christ. Incredible. Come on, people. Bring some energy. That's amazing. Think about that. All because these women stepped their foot on the gas, all because they spoke the name of Jesus, literally a miracle happened. Here's the thing. When you're evangelizing, Use the name of Jesus. I need us to kind of take a step back. Inviting people to church is not what I would call evangelism. That's good. That's good to do. But Candeo is not going to save people. Salt Company is not going to save people. The name of Jesus is going to save people. When you actually go up to somebody, you don't say, hey, come to church. You say, hey, how are you doing? Let me speak Jesus into this. You want to know how Jesus actually saves and solves everything about your life? Here's the thing. You, they don't need Candeo. They don't need salt. They don't need a worship experience. They need Jesus. Evangelism is worthless if we leave out the main focus of our worship. 
Jesus Christ of Nazareth. So in your connection groups, with your family, I believe Reach Week is coming up here soon. Use the name of Jesus when you are trying to reach people. Say, hey, Salt Company is this thing where we worship Jesus Christ. Mom and dad, I literally live my life in order to worship and honor my King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the owner of my life, Jesus Christ. Use your voice to speak the words of the living God into dead souls and watch them come alive. If the name of Jesus has changed you, if his power has coursed through you, number two, you declare Jesus in your future. That sounds weird, doesn't it? You declare Jesus in your future. Here's what I mean by that. Making plans to make much of Jesus is honoring to him. Making plans to make much of Jesus is honoring to him. Peter and the church does this. Look at chapter four, verse 29. After he gets, after they literally get like smoked in the face by a bunch of things, they leave and they start praying to God and they're rejoicing. Verse 29, they're praying, they say, and now Lord, consider their threats and grant that your servants may speak your word with all boldness while, uh, while you stretch out your hand for healing and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. Guys, they started declaring the power of Jesus into their future. AKA, they started drawing on the promises and power of God and asked him to do something. They're saying, would you use us again? We just saw something crazy. Would you use me again? God, you are faithful. You are powerful. Would you use me again? Their ambition for their future is mind-blowing. Are you praying and planning that God would use you again? What will your future impact be? What will you be remembered for? Making much of your name or making much of the name of Jesus? For many of you, that means literally going on a church plant. And some of you are fearful of the future and what God would have you do. I know. Because right now, you're in a place that is known, thinking about going to a place that's unknown, but it'll be for the sole purpose of making his name known. And that's what makes it worth it. Many of us are in this room simply being sent by Jesus, but not living sent. Living sent, living a sent life is actually extremely simple. You declare the name of Jesus and know that Jesus gives you power. A power to speak his name with boldness so his salvation can change the world around you and the campus of Northern Iowa. Pray with me. God, I thank you so much for this salt company. I thank you so much for the gospel work that you're doing through ordinary people, untrained people, people that are your everyday type of people, but they know something unbelievable, which is the fact that the God of the universe saw it fit to come down to earth, live a perfect life, die the death that we deserve. And then he did something scientifically impossible and rose from the dead, conquering death. 
God, I pray right now that if there's somebody in this room who has been tricking themselves to think that they actually are a Christian and they're not, that they would actually lay down their sin and repent and turn to Jesus. Because you're so good. And God, I pray that for Christians in this room who they know that they are supposed to be sent and they've been being sent by you, but they haven't been living sent. God, I pray that you would work a miracle in their life and realize that the gospel came to them so that the gospel could go to somebody else. They would realize that because you changed them, that they now have the power to go speak your name because your name has power. Your name is the name above all names, the Alpha and the Omega, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. What you do, what you're in the business of doing is saving souls and changing people's lives. God, I pray that people in this room after tonight would realize that it's not dependent on them. It's dependent on the power of your son to change the world around them. I pray that through this room, you would save soul upon soul. In your name I pray. In your holy, mighty name, Jesus.